Parenting is a full-time job, and providing effective support for today's teens can be challenging. The Parent Engage 360 podcast aims to provide connections and information from experts in the fields of chemical health, mental health, internet safety, and more. It's a comprehensive view on parenting, provided in a personal, convenient format. Tune in to today's episode of the Parent Engage 360 podcast series. Thank you for joining us today. We're glad you're here. I'm Liz Burgard, Parent Involvement Coordinator. With recent high school graduation and summer vacation right around the corner, Colleen O'Neill, the district's chemical health prevention specialist, and Cindy Doth, the outreach manager, substance use support specialist with Anoka Hennepin and Hazelden Betty Ford, have joined us for a timely conversation around alcohol use. In our conversation today, we're going to discuss current trends, access, our influence as parents, and the social host ordinance, and much more. Woo! We have a lot to cover, and thanks for having this timely conversation today with me, Cindy, and Colleen. Oh, thanks for having me, Liz. Yeah, same. In episode seven of the Parent Engage 360 podcast, you both joined us to talk about early intervention and prevention, and you shared a little bit about your journey and your current role. For those that may have not been familiar or listened to that podcast, can you give listeners an overview of your role within the district and also with Hazelden Betty Ford? Colleen, do you want to start? Sure. Thank you again for having me here. I'm excited to share this information. I am in year two of being the chemical health prevention specialist for the school district. So my role consists of overseeing the chemical health supports that we are offering in our secondary schools and then looking at ways to support and educate staff and families and also looking at ways to support our younger students as they move through the district, move through each grade. Yeah, thank you for having me here this morning. I have been with Hazelden Betty Ford over the last 15 years. In the last few years, I've transitioned into the school-based supportive services role where we have a partnership with, right now, the Anoka Hennepin School District to provide any kind of substance use support services that they need. So much like what Colleen said, that we do professional development events and real specifically helping support the students and their families if there's any kind of substance use violation, if there's family concerns or the school is concerned about any kind of substance use, then I get to meet with the students, help support the families, chat with them and figure out what are some of the next steps? How do we help intervene and what do we need to do so that that student can get what it is that they need? Thanks for giving a little overview and and telling our listeners a little bit about the work that you do currently with our students and families in Anoka Hennepin. So this is kind of a loaded question, but why should we be talking to our kids about alcohol? Can you give us some current trends about alcohol use and how it affects development? Sure, I'll talk just briefly on current trends and Cindy jump in as well since you are, you know, meeting with the students face to face. But when I look at trends and when I look at data, I will often refer to the Minnesota Student Survey. And the last one we have was from 2019. And what I did gather from that information is that those students that report alcohol use has been remaining pretty consistent, meaning there hasn't been a huge increase or a huge decline as we have seen over the past five to 10 years. However, 11th graders who responded, and there was about 650 that did, 13.5% indicated drinking one to two times in the past year. 
So that was an increase over what we have seen in the past. And I think another thing I want to point out about the data is that we have been in a very unusual time, haven't we, for the past year, year and a half. And so I think it's it's a little bit unfair to refer to data specifically because we don't have accurate data that really reflects where those kids are right now and where they've been this past year, year and a half. I think both Cindy and I or anybody working in behavioral health or in, you know, in any kind of helping capacity can safely say that we are recognizing mental health needs are increasing. And when that happens, we also know that substance use increase happens as well. And so we'll talk about, you know, the importance of the alcohol as we move further through this. But yeah, so I just wanted to point that out. I can't say that there's anything crazy worrisome, but we still need to address it in regards to protecting our young people. Within Hazelden Betty Ford, we've got an adolescent facility in Plymouth. And when we look at the drugs of use for clients that end up coming into treatment, the number one substance that is used is marijuana. 90 some odd percent of clients end up using marijuana. And the very, very close second is alcohol. Very rarely is it just one substance that a student ends up using, that it's multiple. And alcohol is one of those ones that part of my concern is that it's relatively easily accessible, right? That it's in parents' homes, they can get it from older siblings. And with the transition from our seniors going off into college, that's also an environment that's just ripe with substance use too. And so I think having the discussion about alcohol use is important. It's so important. Despite the legality of it, that doesn't have an impact on whether or not somebody has a safe relationship with alcohol. I think the thing that you mentioned, Colleen, about the student survey data from 2019 is really important that students are asked every couple years about their use on different substances. But I think the point that you made about this past year being different and not really having the data of what actually has looked like with COVID was something that I hadn't thought about. So we have some data, but really what does that look like because of this year and the changes that we didn't know was happening? But also, Cindy, partnered with what you had said about the number one substance is marijuana and the second is alcohol, but knowing that the access is there and more available than possibly marijuana or other drugs. So would you guys mind touching on how kids do access alcohol and ways that maybe parents can prevent that from happening, that students don't have the easy access to get it? Yeah, and Cindy, I think you would agree with me on this, but when I was working in treatment, alcohol was the one substance that really frightened me the most when it comes to our young people for many reasons. But one was because it's so socially accepted and we don't have to go far to find it. I mean, for some kids, we just need to go into the next room. And there's this thing around this rite of passage with drinking alcohol. Like Cindy, you had mentioned our seniors moving from high school, moving on to the college age. And, you know, my past blog was on how to celebrate safely and talks a lot about, you know, being really careful because as much as we want to have our young people kind of move into this next phase of life, we still have a responsibility to make sure that we, even as adults, understand the seriousness of this 
and why we need to have these conversations like Cindy mentioned with our young people. So when you talk about the accessibility, I think we all need to look within the four walls we live in first and foremost. I completely agree, right? So often the access for minors, for adolescents, for young people is within the home, right? And I would even take that a step further too around the social acceptable piece with it. I was watching a TV show with my husband last night and on it was this episode where the grandfather says, oh, grandchild, now that you're graduating high school, here's your rite of passage and let's celebrate with some scotch. Here you go. Let's have the first drink together. And the message that that sends to the community as a whole, to me, gets to be really concerning of here it is, this parent, this guardian, this role model, this person in, in authority is providing substances to a minor whose brain is not even yet fully developed. And the message that says you need alcohol as a way to celebrate. Anytime you celebrate, alcohol needs to be involved. With a lot of the clients that I end up working with, the message, the way they hear that is, oh, it's Tuesday. I should get drunk because I did really good on a test. I get to celebrate. And I I just, within my heart, I think that's a really unfortunate message that society ends up sending our adolescents as a whole. When I was doing some research for this podcast today, that was a lot of the things that were talked about, that a lot of these things are reinforced by media, whether it's on social media or in movies or on TV shows, that that is something that is addressed a lot. That's this rite of passage, the celebration. And then also, I think sometimes we we know that you would turn an adult at 18, but the drinking age isn't until you turn 21. So I think that we forget that sometimes that there is still that three-year gap and that your brain is still not fully functioned probably until, for some of us, into our 30s, right? So having that and remembering that when you're seeing those TV shows and in movies, thinking about what does that mean if my child is watching this? What are they pulling away from the things that they're seeing? I'm going to transition us a little bit, knowing that we do have some students who drink. Can you guys tell us a little bit more about the implications of a minor if someone is caught drinking? And then also like the second layer to that is what are those implications for school and or sports or activities? I don't think parents always know if a child is caught drinking by the police outside of school, that there are some implications that can affect what's happening in school or the activities they participate in. As far as what that looks like for a young person, I do know that if you are cited, if you receive a citation and you're under the age of 21, you will receive a misdemeanor. It's a misdemeanor. And a misdemeanor, there's generally a fine to that as well. I think anywhere from $100 to $700, depending upon where it is. So there's that piece. And as far as what does that do, here's one of the concerns that I know Cindy and I have when it comes to summertime is that we've got students out and especially coming off of COVID, we've got students coming out of hibernation, so to speak, right? And there are celebrations going on and we all are really striving to get back to normal. But what we need to be mindful about is that it's one thing to get back to normal, but it's another thing to use that celebration, Cindy, that you had talked about and what you saw on TV. And just being very mindful of that because if a student does get a violation in the community, by law, they need to notify the school district that that student attends. And then that citation will be sent to the school district. 
My hope is in the Anoka Hennepin School District, we can find a streamlined process that if and when those citations come through to our schools, that they eventually will end up in the lab as a referral to connect with one of our chemical health supports. And that's not to say we need to know everybody who receives a violation, but we want to also make sure as a district that we're providing that needed support for those students that might have some challenges. It might be a one and done. It might be in the wrong place at the wrong time. We understand that. But we also want those students to be fully aware of the supports that we have available. And on top of that, if they participate in a sanctioned Minnesota State High School League sanctioned sport or activity, there are some penalties that will be applied to them. And if it is the star quarterback of a football team, he's going to have to sit out. It doesn't matter if he's the star or not. And I want parents to really be thoughtful about how they navigate that with their students as well. Because if they're going to fight that because they are the star quarterback and not really pay attention to the fact that this is what happened and let's take it as a lesson and a learning opportunity, then we're also sending a very different message to that young person. And so I don't think any one of us wants to be the police per se on what kids can, cannot do, what parents allow or don't allow. We just want to make sure that people are fully educated and aware of the negative impact that any kind of substance use, especially alcohol, can have on just not only the developing brain, but on school and their activities and their behavior. Cindy, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, we know one of the things that really stands out to me is the importance of natural consequences. I'm a huge advocate for natural consequences. And I can understand that adolescents, at times, they make really poor choices, right, of drinking at a party, drinking at a friend's house, whatever the case might be, and then it gets busted. And being a star quarterback may not be, you know, getting a minor may not be what they're really wanting. And it could be that event, that experience that is the catalyst for them to make some different choices in the future, right? And so it very well could just be of like, oh, that was a really hard lesson to learn. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do things differently moving forward. My other concern, though, is that there's those students where if not having those natural consequences, then that is near permission to then continue some really dangerous and destructive behaviors, hence then setting forth a pattern of addictive behaviors. And so I think uh, allowing those natural consequences, as uncomfortable as they might be, are really helpful as part of that adolescent development process. I just want to reiterate that things do happen and people do go to parties and to know that there are natural consequences when you are caught or when you are using a substance, but to also recognize that there are supports in schools that you can reach out to that either the student can participate in or if a parent needed additional support or didn't know where to turn to, that there are things that parents can really lean on that work to get their student involved in having a conversation with somebody who is trained to have conversations around substance use. Hazelton Betty Ford is a world-class provider of addiction and mental health services and has five locations right here in the Twin Cities. With their National Center for Youth and Families in Plymouth, Minnesota, having been named a center of excellence by multiple insurance providers. Services include inpatient and outpatient addiction treatment services, mental health and virtual services, 
family and children's support, as well as recovery support. For more information about Hazel and Betty Ford, visit hazeldenbettyford.org. Or to learn more about the district's partnership, contact Colleen O'Neill, Anoka Hennepin Schools Chemical Health Prevention Specialist. Before the break, we were talking about student trends, and I'd like to switch gears and discuss parents and their influence. I know we touched on that a little bit before the break, but I kind of wanted to dive into that a little bit more in the second half of this podcast. So knowing that alcohol is easily accessible compared to other substances, can you give us some parameters or suggestions that parents could use to really target and decrease underage drinking? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is accessibility, really. Adolescents have that tendency to use substances that are easily accessible. Now, that doesn't mean that parents need to completely purge their homes of all alcohol, but making it harder for adolescents, for young people to have access to them. So maybe it's that it's in a locked closet. Maybe it's that it's in a cupboard that the young person isn't aware of, right? And also being mindful about the amounts that are stored. You know, do we need a whole bar full of a variety of different hard alcohols? Or is this, you know, a bottle of wine <laughs> that, that we hold on to? So I think adjusting the accessibility is maybe one of the very first things that a parent can do to help reduce any of that kind of underage alcohol use. I would agree. I mean, this isn't about, you know, putting a chain around the refrigerator or the fridge out in the garage or wherever. Because I feel like that when we set it up that way, it makes it even that much more enticing for a young person because they're just, they're young. I mean, we expect that from them. My perfect world would be the fact that we would be having the conversations about the right and wrong and the reasons behind that from a very, very young age. I remember years ago when I was a much younger parent and somebody had told me, you know, you shouldn't be asking your kids to go fetch your beer for you out of the fridge. And I remember that just really impacted me because I thought, well, why? What's, what's the big deal? But I think when we go back to what we talked about earlier, the messaging that we unintentionally send to our kids stays with them and with their, their lack of ability to process it properly or the way we see it leaves that door wide open for them to look at it as acceptance or that they were given permission. And so, yes, I think it's all about being very mindful as a parent, but I'm not saying you have to be on the hunt and, you know, put marking lines on your alcohol, because if you're at that point, you haven't done the back work, you know, and I don't think there's ever a time that's too late to start that. And so really for me, it's conversing and explaining the reasons behind it. Listen, we have statistics that show our young people are understanding and are driving less while intoxicated. So we've done something well with educating them on that respect, but I'm not sure that we've done as well as just the overall fact of not using it until a certain age or when they are ready to be able to navigate it appropriately, if that makes sense. And that speaks kind of to the point too, Colleen, of the importance of having those 
value-based conversations so that the kids know, those students, those adolescents, the young people know what, as a parent, our stance is on alcohol use. And when is that permissible time to be able to use and being able to also role model what a healthy relationship with alcohol can look like, right? Not that I'm getting drunk all day, every day and role modeling that behavior for my child. Thanks for sharing some tips that parents can start using today in their home when they're having conversations with their kids, maybe locking cabinets and really retooling and reframing how they are a role model. I know we've talked about that through several of the podcasts with the different conversations. Our kids are always watching what we're doing, whether we like that or not. They are always seeing everything that we're doing. And we don't have to be tiptoeing around and really thinking about all the things that we do every day as adults. But I do think remembering that we are role models and children are watching what we are doing. Well, yeah. And Cindy, you're going to laugh when I say this, but it kind of goes back to something that was said in a presentation that Cindy and I were involved in in just a couple weeks ago. Our young people do not pay attention or listen to what we're saying. They are paying attention to what we're doing. And so you just hit the nail on the head there when you said, you know, they're they're watching us, you know, when we're coming home from work and mama needs to have a drink, I need to do this, this. And we can, we as adults can laugh about that. We understand what that means. But I would just say, be a little bit more careful and mindful of those really loose comments because the kids, you know, it's contradictory to them, right? We're sitting there telling them they shouldn't, or in some cases, we're telling them they can't, which sets up, you know, a different scenario. But we're telling them one thing, but we ourselves are doing something very different. And we understand it because we have that life experience to be able to decipher. Our young people don't. And so always remember they are paying attention more to what we're doing rather than what we're saying. And if the message is mama gets home from a tough day at work and I got to have that glass of wine, the message that we're also sending is I'm stressed out. I need a substance to medicate myself. And an alternative could be let's role model some deep breathing. Let's talk through and and process our day, discuss why was this so stressful and eventful and have those safe conversations and to role model some of those pro-social things that we're wanting our young people to do. Kind of piggyback off of what you had just mentioned, Cindy, if a parent feels like their child is using a substance, particularly for this podcast, alcohol, what are some supports or what are some conversation starters or resources in the community or schools that parents could reach out to to start the conversation? I love having these conversations with parents. <laughs> so often within my, my work within Hazel and Betty Ford and my work with the district is that's what parents are really thirsty for, is how do I get this going? What are those conversations? <laughs> and so I think it starts with having a lot of those prevention conversations before there even is a concern, right? Before we have any kind of inkling that maybe something is going on. Mm -hmm. Because then that normalizes a conversation around alcohol and reduces any kind of stress or tension or defensiveness that that young person is going to feel. Because as a family, we talk about alcohol. And I can also recognize that that's not always the case within family systems. If a parent does have that concern, I think... I think it's so important to be transparent in a very kind and caring and loving way, to be able to use I statements. My perception is, I believe, I am worried about. When we start with those I statements, it immediately lowers that any kind of sense of defensiveness and we get to have some ownership for our own perception. 
right? It's harder to get mad at, at my own beliefs. Having those difficult conversations too, I would say is also a matter of timing, right? Sitting down at the dinner table and having this really heartfelt conversation, so important, but maybe that's not the best time. Maybe the time for us to do it is when we are both engaged in some other light activity, right? Like I'm making dinner and I ask my then daughter, what do you think you're going to do this weekend when there's this huge party? You know, what, what are your choices around alcohol going to be? I'm curious. Help me understand what, what your perception is around alcohol and healthy alcohol use. What does that look like? So having some of those really open-ended conversations, I think is a really great way to start and soliciting what is their understanding already about alcohol? What do they know? What are their friends experiencing? Again, lowers that level of defensiveness to be able to help explore, could this be a potential issue? If it is an issue, then absolutely. If you're concerned, I mean, trust your, your gut as a parent. And if you are concerned, then we start pulling in some professionals. We're reaching out to the school. We're reaching out to Hazel and Betty Ford to be able to say, take a look at my child's substance use and let's see, is this at a level where we need to intervene and how do we intervene? And that's what I'm most proud of with regards to this district is that we have a very unique program set up. I mean, we have those supports in place and it's new, newer. And my hope is that eventually at some point we'll be out of jobs, right? I mean, you know, because it would be awesome to not have to have that there, but but in the meantime, we are here. And in the meantime, we are here to not only support and educate our students, but our staff and our families. And so if you're really ever needing anything, reach out to me. I will help navigate, get you in front of what our supports are in front of Cindy, in front of somebody in the community, whatever that is. But we're fortunate to have that ability to do so in the district. I think that feeds into our next question, Colleen, about you have a blog, a monthly blog that you write for the district, and oftentimes it's in the e-news. But in your most recent blog, you talked about the social host ordinance and how it impacts parents. And I know graduations just happened and a lot of seniors are no longer in school. And so can you tell us what you know about the social host ordinance and maybe provide some additional information that parents might not be aware of? Sure. The social host ordinance makes it unlawful for individuals, or otherwise known as the social hosts, to knowingly provide a place for underage drinking to occur on a premises under the host's control, meaning it's unlawful for me to have a party at my house or have a gathering and provide or know that alcohol is being consumed on my premises. And that makes me liable. So there's a lot of legal ramifications that can come from that, especially if that young person gets harmed, you know, gets behind the wheel of a car. But there's also ramifications if the police come out to my home. I would end up with a social host ordinance citation that is typically a misdemeanor, again, that could be up to 90 days in jail and or a $1,000 fine. And while that might not feel like a big thing for some people, it is, and it can be, and it can have an effect on, you know, job potentials. And maybe not so much because of it's a misdemeanor, but how you answer, you know, your application. And if you don't 
you know, identify that and they find out if they run a background check and they see the misdemeanor, then they can assume that maybe you, you know, knowingly left that information off. I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen because of it. So the social host, the parent in most cases, are the ones that are responsible for those young people. And I come at it from a parent perspective as well. As a parent, if my child is going over to somebody's party, I'm assuming, which I shouldn't do, I should be asking, but in most cases we assume that while they're over there, a parent will be there and the parent will be doing what a parent should be doing. And that is monitoring and making sure this isn't happening. However, that's not always the case. We have to remember not everybody parents the way we each do personally. And so that kind of goes back to having those conversations, kind of role-playing if we can with our kids about if you find yourself in a situation, how you're going to get out of it. You know, a lot of kids end up with citations because they're at the wrong place at the wrong time. So there's just a lot of, a lot of ways this can be a negative thing for everybody involved. We have to remember, too, with the social host ordinances that these are city social host ordinances. So while one city may have a social host ordinance, another city may not. That was something that I hadn't known about. So I felt like the blog was very helpful for me to even understand that I currently have young children, but just to know that that is something that is there. And I think you provided really great information there, but also in your blog with additional information around the social host ordinance. We're going to kind of wrap up here, but we know that it's common knowledge that there may be additional alcohol consumption with parties and things that are happening now with where we are in June. So can you give us tips on ways to make celebrations fun without alcohol? I know we had talked about that a little bit throughout the podcast today, but things that either parents could say or alternatives that parents could do or give suggestions for instead of drinking as the celebration or the fun thing. The immediate thing comes to mind is to be able to support thinking of a graduation, whatever that young person is into, right? How is it that we can continue to celebrate you, your accomplishments without the focus being around alcohol? So we're having soda, we're having other activities and events that are important to that young person and setting that precedent that we don't need alcohol present as a way to celebrate, right? We can still have a party at our house and you don't have to drink. And I would even encourage parents to consider ways to have that conversation with their young person that if they are going to a graduation party, right, and the expectation is that there's no alcohol, but something happens and then it's there, how is it that you could support that young person getting out of that really uncomfortable situation, right? So then you text the letter X to your parent, and as a parent, do you go and you pick up your child, no questions asked. I am supporting you making some really healthy decisions and really healthy choices. When that's the expectation, then we're not needing to have alcohol to be present to celebrate. And we have to remember these celebrations are about that young person. It is not about what alcohol is available or being provided. And honestly, put the focus on the food then. <laughs> you know, I mean, have a bomb menu and people will eat and eat and they'll remember that, you know, more than they'll remember anything else. But in all seriousness, you, you bring up a really good point. You need to really focus on the accomplishments of that young person. And I think it's just really a great starting point of saying that alcohol isn't as important or more important. My child is. 
and celebrating my child and making sure my child has a life to lead that will be without stress or challenges from any kind of substance use. I know that's the goal. We just tend to, because alcohol is so widely accepted in absolutely every corner of our world, that it's hard to know where that line is. I mean, let's think about Sundays in the fall and the winter, right? And let's look at, you know, the the eight hours of football and what we see in eight hours. So it's not that we can't get away from it. It's just that we need to have those conversations about the normalcy of it. You know, and I, one of the things that also just popped in my head that I would add to that, Colleen, too, is, you know, with all of the graduation parties that I've gone to, having alcohol there for the adults seems disproportionate to the attendees. Right. Good point. The students go to each other's graduation parties and they're celebrating and they're super excited that there are more students there than there are adults. And so having alcohol present for the handful of adults that's showing up doesn't necessarily seem to collate with the attendance. You know, being able to have age-appropriate beverages for the majority of the people that are attending, which are the students. I just want to say thank you to both of you for being here today. I know you both are a wealth of knowledge and have a lot of insight and experience with the students in an Okanapan school. So I just really want to say thank you on behalf of the district for being here. And just some takeaways that I think are things that we had talked about through the podcast that are things that parents could implement today are our kids aren't paying attention to what we say, but they're paying attention to what we're doing. And I think just always kind of having that in the front of my mind is really important as I continue to be a role model for my kids or other kids that my kids are hanging out with their friends. And then secondly, conversations from a young age are really important. And it's really important to ask your kid where they're going, what are they doing, checking in with them, maybe not after situations happened, but just constantly doing that. Having a conversation, a check-in about any topic, let alone alcohol, is really key to developing a strong relationship with your child and a trusting relationship with them as well. And then lastly, not what parents can do, but if they're looking for support or if a student is looking for support because they are struggling with addiction in some fashion, that there are supports in the district. There's the two of you. There's additional resources that if a student needs help or a parent needs help, they can reach out to you as a starting point to continue to provide support moving forward to really help the youth to work through some of these things that they're struggling with. So I just want to say again, thank you so much. Are there any last minute things that you want to put the good word out there with the world? I say congratulations to our seniors um, and celebrate safely. I'm so grateful for our relationship with the district. And if there are families that are struggling, Hazelden Betty Ford has a whole wealth of knowledge and a variety of interventions to support anybody at any kind of need. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This resource is produced as a partnership between the Anoka Hennepin Parent Engagement Program and Student Services Department. Be sure to check out additional episodes in the Parent Engage 360 podcast series. For more information or to share feedback, visit ahschools.us slash parentengage360.